the message that I felt like God put on my heart for this actually um, is about being confident as Christians. And so we're going to spend the bulk of the first half of our time in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and just kind of a just kind of a setup for where we're at right now is um, we have a battle going on between two armies. You got the Philistines on one side and the Israelites on the other side. And it was, it wasn't uncommon in those days for disputes to be settled by, uh, each army's best fighter. And so, both armies would send out their best fighters. They would they would battle it out, and whatever the terms were, the the army that lost would be subject to whatever those terms were. And so, uh, on one side, you have the Israelites with uh, King Saul and um, David's three older brothers, and all of the armies of Israel. And on the other side, we had the Philistines, this massive individual. Uh, named Goliath that was covered in uh, full-on armor, um, and the Bible said he was he was a man of war from his youth, and so um, and so that's kind of the setup. And we'll we'll start in verse nineteen where it says, "Now Saul and David's older brothers and all the men of Israel were in a valley fighting with the Philistines, and David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went, as Jesse, David's dad, had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle, shouting the war cry, and Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army, and David left the things that he had, that his dad had given him in charge um, of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. These are the words that he spoke. He says, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But I, if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Today, this Philistine defies the ranks of Israel. And so, everyone on the, the, the Bible says that the, the, that the Israelites were afraid of this guy because he had quite the reputation. And, uh, but David comes up and the men are talking about Goliath. It says, have you seen this man that's come to defy Israel? And the king, the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 
And the people answered him in the same way. If we uh, we'll move on to verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before King Saul, and he sent him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he is but a man of war from his youth. And David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, I know that was a lot of scripture to read right off of the bat, but all of that information is right. All of that information is needed for us to have confidence because there's a lot that happened with what David was going through. David had a foundation set up for the confidence that he had. He had already had the experience of protecting the thing that he was put in charge of. And so, so it said, when the lion or bear came, he had defeated them, and so, and so therefore he had the confidence in the battle. The way he remembered that, though, is really important because if David had remembered that situation as though I was awesome and I overpowered that, that lion, that, that bear, like if that was, that was the situation, then he would have to question whether or not he was good enough to do this other thing, right? That had much bigger implications. Not that a bear or a lion wouldn't be scary for yourself, but at the end of the day, it's just for yourself. If he loses this battle, he loses it for the entire country. So the weight of this particular battle was much more than it was before. But again, he wasn't depending on his own might and his own will and his own ability to get the thing done, he says clearly right here, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and bear will deliver me from this Philistine. And so the first part of having confidence in the situations that face us on a day-to-day basis is knowing that God's worked in our life already and we've already had those victories. And it's it's a it's a practice that that has to be done on a regular basis because unfortunately or fortunately it's not a self-help technique where i sit there and i, I and i i go into my prayer closet and i pray to god and and i remember the times when i had this victory and 5 minutes later i walk out and i'm full of confidence it just doesn't work that way like there is a period of time where you you have to know that God was actually helping you. Because we can easily, it's just too easy for us to think, I made this thing happen, or because I have this certain ability that it happened, or because I'm this smart that I was able to get through the situation. 
the practice of giving God credit where credit is due is one that it takes, it takes time. We don't like to give up that credit. We know just practically when somebody does something for us, right, that, that it would be at the very least disrespectful not to give them that credit. And it could be downright hateful just to take that credit away from them, right? The Bible actually says it's evil to do such a thing. And we get the unique opportunity as Christians to know that, like, it's, like our battles are not just us, that we have a God that works on our behalf and he, he's looking long term for our, our good. And so, it doesn't matter what size the battle is. You know, it doesn't matter if we're facing a financial hardship where we need the God's help in that or, or a health issue or a coronavirus, right? Um, it doesn't matter what the issue is. The size of the issue really doesn't, is, is really irrelevant when it, when we bring God into the matter because, because he's bigger than we are, right? And, and not everybody gets to know that and we shouldn't take that for granted for sure. But the Bible puts a pattern in place on repeat about remembering the things that God's done for us. Abraham's building altars throughout his journey on the way to the promised land to remember the impact God had in his life. Um, Israel is on repeat reminded that God brought them out of slavery Joshua is told to stack up a bunch of stones so they can remember that God pulled them across the Jordan. And as Christians, of course, we're, we're called to remember the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. And those types of memories build up that confidence. They build up that confidence. I remember God drawing me before I ever cared anything about him. That was significant to me because most of the time in life we'll, we're waiting for if the, if the opportunity is right, we'll get together, right? But then God saw in a place, saw me in a place where I, I wasn't caring about him at all and, and yet he cared about me. And we can say that kind of tongue in cheek and we can just, we can, not sit down and think about it, and it can fly right over top of our heads. But when we make a practice of recognizing, like, like I, I really at that moment didn't care about anything to do with God, and yet He was drawing me at that moment. And then, and then there was a day when, when I recognized how much He He cared about me, and and I said I said yes to that care, right? And then, you know, the the love that I felt from God on that day, right, um, was something that I hope that I never forget. And when I remember those things, when I remember, I mean, we can see how big God is because of the, the planets and the universe and all those things. But when I remember that he took the time to care about me, even in the times when I didn't care about him, then what, then I can know that in a way that can give me confidence in the situations that I'm going through today because 
He cared about me then. He surely he cares about me now, right? And he cares about the situation that I'm going through. And then we've all been through difficult times in our lives. And we can remember the victories God's given in, given us in those areas of our life as well. And those are obviously unique to each and every individual. But spending time thinking about those situations, not from the context of this bad thing happened to me and I'm glad it's over, but that this thing happened, right? And, and God was there with me and he helped me through that thing or he overcame it, whatever the case may be, given that credit where credit's due. So sometimes, sometimes he will use the God-given abilities your God-given abilities in your situation. And that's the trickiest thing, right? Because then, then we actually do feel like we have some ownership in that thing. And then sometimes he uses the, the abilities of those around us, you know, like doctors. We've had, you know, great doctors or, or great leaders or whoever the case may be. He'll use the abilities that he's given to people. And then there's other times where We've gone through a situation, and maybe from the outside perspective, it wouldn't even look like we won that. Like it was, it was a battle lost. But somehow we come out stronger and we like know that. And, and so the way we remember those things is really important. So I want to, I want to wrap this first part of it up. But our, our experiences do matter. Our last victory, we have to know our last victory did not come because of how awesome we are, right? Our last victory did not come because of how awesome our doctor was. Although, you know, or our leader or our teacher or our financial advisor, we're thankful for the gifts that they have and we're thankful for the gifts that God gave us. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we have to remember that God gave us or them those gifts and and so the victory ultimately is his that brings us to the second part of this so we have this foundation of experience and that's usually where it where the where the thing starts right our confidence begins because we've seen victories we've remembered those victories we keep them fresh in our mind and so we have that certain amount of confidence but david's had a little bit more than just just the foundation of experience, he also had hope. And we find one chapter earlier in chapter 16, the setup here is, is King Saul had fallen out of favor with the Lord, and there was a great prophet named Samuel that God sent to find a new king. And so he sent him to David's house, uh, to speak with his dad, and they brought all of David's older brothers out before Samuel, and then finally gets to David. And so uh, we'll start in verse 11. I'll read this, just two verses. Uh, then Samuel, the prophet, said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. He was ruddy and beautiful, had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And so 
on top of the victories David had out in the field with the lions and the bears, he also had this hope that he was riding on that one day he was going to be anointed, that he was going to be the king. But he hadn't gotten it yet, so it was hope. It was, he had a promise that he was going to be king. And so when David sees, when he goes to the ranks, he's asking, what did the king say? That he was going to give the man who took this reproach away? Money? He was going to make his house free and he's giving him his daughter? He saw it a step in the direction of his promise. Right? And, and we have that same kind of promise. Because the day that we accepted Christ, we knew that we had the promise of spending forever with Him. And for every battle that we run into, no matter how what the outcome looks like, we can look at it as a step in the direction because we have the promise, but we're not there yet. Like David didn't have his seat as king yet. He was waiting on the opportunity for that to happen. We don't have the seat yet. We're waiting on the opportunity for those things to happen. And the Bible actually says that we'll be kings and priests. And so we have that promise. We have that hope. We have a foundation of experience. We have the hope and the promise of something bigger and something better. Every situation is a step toward that. And the one thing that I put down here I don't want to miss out on, you can bet for David, every day after Samuel anointed him as the king, like that was on his mind every day. Every day. But is it on our mind every day that one day we'll be kings and priests and we're going to spend an eternity with the Lord? In Revelation chapter 21, it says, there's a day coming when God's dwelling place will be with man. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. There will be no mourning or crying or pain. And sometimes when we're in a really tough spot, that's, that's huge. That's huge anyway, but... Sometimes that's as far as our imagination will allow us to go, just not having bad stuff happen. But we have that promise, and that's a thing. Like when we're talking about keeping keeping our future promises right in front of us, that's that's a thing not to forget. That's a thing to ponder on. Like one day all this stuff's going to be over with. Let's Let's overcome this thing because... One day, it won't be a thing, right? And then sometimes, there's more. So, if you're in your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is just another example of God giving us a glimpse into the window of what what lies in front of us. Um, and here, uh, Paul's being questioned about what the resurrection will look like. What are these, like, you know, Paul, that your body's going to break down, so, so what's that look like? What do you mean there's eternity? And so Paul goes into explaining this, and so says, but someone will ask, how are your dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, when you 
what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. There's one for humans and one for animals and birds and one for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earth is of another. There's one glory for the sun, one for the moon, one for the stars, and even the stars differ from one another. This is one of my favorite pictures of what happens because, like, I don't, I don't fully understand what it looks like, but I can get kind of this word picture where if I was, if our body is, is this seed, right? If our body's a seed. We don't know what it's going to look like, but what we know is every time a seed pops up out of the ground, it's much better and it's much greater than the seed that it, the, itself. And I used to equate this thing like if I had an apple seed, then, then one day I'm going to be an apple, but that's not even true, right? I'm going to be the apple tree. And the good part about that is every tree adorns fruit. And my confidence is, my my hope is that one day the things that we're accomplishing, the people that God's given us to take care of, the things that the rewards that Paul talks about us having, my prayer is our tree will be full, right? And that tree, gosh, doesn't even compare. Like the seed can't imagine the tree, and neither can we imagine the the goodness of the bodies of the. Revelation also talks about the gives these great descriptions, and I don't have a creative mind. I can't follow those things. But what I have done and what I can do um, is I can I can Google what those things look like. And Google sometimes what. So some of the artists have have pulled out of what Revelation describes as um, the New Jerusalem. It's fantastic, and there's the Bible talks about banquets, talks about parties, it talks about mansions. Right? We can let within the context of what the Lord puts before us, we can let our imagination run wild with what uh, our future will be with the Lord. And it's good for us to think about those things. It's good for us to spend time pondering those things because it it lets hope raise up. We don't typically hear a lot of a whole lot of sermons about hope because there's not a lot to say except for the fact that it is in what we're looking forward to. But if we don't spend time looking at it, then then we're so quick to forget things, right? We're so quick to forget the experiences we've had. We're so quick to forget the hope that lies in front of us. And it brings us back to the situations that we're in. So I'm going to go back to um, David here because he does still have a battle to fight. Uh Love when I get out of order on my notes. <laughs> it would be a repeat. <laughs> but he does, but David does walk through the ranks as we talked about. As I said a little bit earlier, David walks through the ranks and he's, he's excited about what Saul's offering for the guy who kills Goliath. So excited that he asks him three times, like, they're like, they're like, he's given you, he's given him money, a house, and a, and a wife. And he's just like, what? Money, a house, and a wife. What? 
He's so excited about that. And, uh, and so, and so in verse 41, it says, And the Philistines moved forward and came near to David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to Philistine, You have come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I'll give your... I will give your dead body to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. When the Philistine arose and came and draw near to David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine and put his hand in his bag, took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in his hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and cut off his head with it. Only works if you know Jesus. That's the only way it works. I mean, if we don't know Jesus, we have kind of circumstantial evidence that maybe we get through the next thing. But when we have Jesus, we know how big he is. And really, ultimately, because the situation may not turn out like we think it might turn out, like at the end of the day, we... We have the confidence that nobody else has that it's for our good. And we're the only people at, we're the only people not looking forward to six feet in the ground. (laughs) I'm just saying, I mean, that's a thing. And we have something, we're not looking for something worse. We're actually looking for something better. And so we, we should be the most confident people in the world when we're facing those situations that we're in. And so what I wanted to do, I want to make sure, because it all depends on Jesus, I want to give anybody who may be listening that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord, I want to give them that opportunities. Matthew says that our all of our hearts are full of evil, murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and lies and slander. But it also says that God so loved the world, He sent His Son that we could spend forever with him. And so it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us and make us clean. And so I want to have that prayer now. So, uh, Father God, thank you for the work that you sent Jesus to do on our behalf. And thank you for the sacrifice that he made. We know, Lord, in the grand scheme of things that we are Not much. We are weak. We're broken. We know our thoughts are not good. 
Lord, I need your pres- your strength, Lord. I need your promise that I'll be with you one day forever. Will you forgive me this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. And so the last thing that I wanted to say here this morning is um, we are in a battle, maybe of, it's epic, that's for sure. It's huge. I, I don't think that uh, any of us have ever seen anything like it. But we can be confident, right? It's such a small thing for the God of the universe to, like, this is a small place in the grand scheme of the universe, and, and, and the, that virus itself is even smaller than the, than the earth. And so um, and it didn't take him by surprise. I think that's important to know. I didn't, didn't take him by surprise. I don't know how long he's going to allow this thing to go or how bad that it's going to get, but I do trust that he's good and he's using it. Some things that we can do as believers, the Bible tells us in Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And that's a, and I know that's a, that's a verse that we just kind of turn to when things are, but, but it's a, it's a, it's a thing that we see not just in that particular verse, but we see that in, in the Old Testament all the time. Every time Israel ran away from God, and as soon as they, they turned back to God, then He healed those things up. And the, the nervousness that I have, if there's any, through the thing that we're going through right now, is that in past disasters, you see people who don't know God turning to God because they knew where to go. I haven't seen that this time. But we can. We can do that. And then the last part of that, the second part of that, the things that we can do, uh, Romans 13.1 talks about obeying those who rule over you. Um, because those, those people who have been put in place have been put by, put in place by God. And so, um, as believers, we, we're praying, right? We're seeking God in the matter. We're, we're getting our own lives straightened out because, you know, we've, we've turned, we've done, it's easy for us to forget, but we're going to remember in this time. And then also when we're given instruction by our leaders, like we, we need to be, especially as Christians, we need to be faithful to follow those instructions so long as it doesn't come against the Word of God, right? And so when our president's asking things, man, I'm just encouraging you guys to do what it is he's asking us to do so because God's put him in place to help us get through this thing. So I'm going to close up in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for the love that you share with us, Lord, the care that you give us. I thank you, God, that, that you have done so much in our lives, God. And I just, Lord, I just, I pray that you would draw us into, um, our time with you in large part to remember all of those things, Lord, that, and, and to, spend time remembering the promises that you've given to us, God. And I, I just pray as we do those things, Lord, we would be filled with the um, the knowledge that 
you're with us. And we don't have anything to be afraid of. And every step and every circumstance that we go through is just another step toward um, gaining that promise, toward being with you, spending an eternity uh, with a God who just who loves us, Lord. And we're looking forward to that. And we're excited about that, God. And we do pray for your help with uh, this pandemic that's going on throughout the world, Lord. We're asking that it would be that it would be shortened. Lord, if for no other reason, for the sake of the saints, Lord, that you would uh, shorten that, Lord, that you would heal our land, heal our people. I pray that when we get back to life, Lord, it wouldn't be life as usual, Lord, but it would be life with the knowledge that, that you're there and that you care for us and that you love us and that we have our victory in you. In Jesus' name, amen.